Hadassah, and I'm so excited to welcome you to Real Woman, Real Torah, a project of Bacheva Learning Center. We're here to offer you an authentic Torah learning experience, produced for women, by women. I hope you enjoy. If you'd like to follow along inside the text, you can find a fully vowelized PDF of the DAF at www.batshevalearningcenter.com slash DAF. Hi, everyone, and welcome to DAF Ches of Masecha Saita. Um, on this DAF, we're going to be continuing the um, explanation of the very long Mishnah that we started on the previous DAF. Um, so, Deborah, go for it. All right. So, yeah, we'll actually start right at the bottom of Zion Amid Bays, uh, where we left off yesterday. It's... Uh, just at the bottom of the page, three lines from the bottom. Im Amra Temea Ani, right? So last time we discussed all the different things they would try to do to the Saita to try to get her to admit her guilt if she were guilty. Um, and now the Gemara says, what happens if she says, Im Amra Temea Ani, if she says that she is, um, you know, has committed adultery? Then the Mishnah had said the words Shiveris Ksubasa. So when you read the Mishnah, we translated it, as Rashi said, we translated it as she writes a shuvar, a receipt to her husband. She needs to write a document saying that she forfeits any rights to her kasuba and that she can no longer collect the money due to her in her kasuba under normal circumstances since she's committed adultery. Right. So the Gemara is going to analyze this. Right. So the Gemara says, Shmami, now we learn from here, Kaisvin Shuvar, that whenever a document, you know, becomes, um, unable to be used, right, for whatever reason, it becomes disqualified. Uh, you need to write a receipt that uh, states that. Um, Rashi fills us in. He says this, who's, and he tells us, if you look in Baba Basra, this is actually a subject of debate, right, uh, where we said, actually, the um, prevailing opinion was that we actually do not write a receipt. Instead, we simply tear the original document to indicate its uh, inferior status or, you know, its uh, disqualified status. Right. So Amar Abaya, therefore Abaya says, Tani Makaras. Really, you should translate Shiveris. Is, it means that she tears it. Right. Amar Abaya, Rabbi says, Vaha Shiveris. But it uses the word Shiveris. Shiveris is not the normal word for tearing. Right. If it meant tearing, it would have written tearing. So Amar Abaya, Rabbi says, Vamakam Shain Kaisfin Ksuba Skin. What are we dealing with? We're dealing with a very specific situation in a place where they don't write a Ksuba. Right. What does this mean? It means that um, in some communities, right, at the time, there was this custom that uh, instead of actually writing a Ksuba document, there was simply an understanding that whenever a couple got married, um, there would be, you know, the conditions of the Ksuba would apply. And therefore, should uh, the husband die or should there be a divorce, the woman would simply bring her get to Basin or proof of her husband's uh, death to Basin and get her ksuba that way. There is no ksuba document. So therefore, in such a situation, you would need to actually write a receipt for the simple reason that there's no original ksuba document to tear. Okay. So, um, right. So that's if she says she is guilty. Now, what if she maintains her innocence? So the Mishnah, we're going to quote a line from the Mishnah, right? So if, if she says that she's Tahor, they make her climb up all the way to the eastern gate, right? Also called Shar Nechanor. Uh, now, so the Gemara asks a very simple question, right? Earlier in the Mishnah, we talked about how this woman was warned by the Basin. Now, the Basin of 71 judges was actually on the Har Habayis. So the Gemara asks, Mali Isa, right? They have to make her climb up to the eastern gate of the of the of the Azara. How some time, right? She was already there, right? In the Lishkas Hagazis, in that chamber where the base the uh, Sanhedrin met. So he said, from here learned la So after the Basin warns her, they would kind of take make her travel up and down the mountain to tire her out and weaken her resolve. Um, right. And this is similar to Tanya, as it says in a uh, they would do something similar to witnesses in a capital case. Right. The Basin would make the witnesses travel from place to place and try to trial uh, try to uh, try to tire them out to weaken their resolve um, and therefore encourage them to admit 
the truth, right? This is the second, you know, another parallel we see here between a capital case and uh, with Saita. All right, we're moving along in the Mishnah. So he said that this eastern gate was of significance for a number of things. It says that at this eastern gate, they would give the Saitas to drink. Um, and at this same gate, the, the Mitsairas, right, the, uh, those who were, you know, uh, impure with Saras would, would become purified here. Um, and also, uh, Yolettis, the woman who has given birth, right? There's, there are two special covenants. A woman gives when she's given birth, and the woman also stands at this same eastern gate, right? So there's it's an interesting choice of three different things that are all done at this gate. So Gordon says, okay, how do we know this? How do we know uh, all these things? So how do we know it? So um, the Gemara says, Bishlama Saita clear proof in the Pasuk for the idea that a Saita drinks uh, at this, or, you know, drinks at this Eastern Gate. Why? As it says, the Hamid Esakayan Esaisha Lefneyashem. Sorry, the Hamid Esakayan Esaisha Lefneyashem. The Kayan makes the woman stand before Hashem, right? Um, and as this Eastern Gate is the entrance to the base of Mikdash, right, the words Lefneyashem before Hashem refer to this gate. Mitzarai Nami. So the Mitzarai, there's a similar usage of that word. The Chulus, we can read the whole Pasuk here from Vayikra. Right? So that, and that also with regards to Mitzarai, there is a usage of the words of Nation. Lifnei Hashem. El Yoletes, my time. So Yoletes, What's the reason, right? There's no such pasuk saying lefnei Hashem for Yoletis. So what's the reason? So just some background, quick background knowledge about Yoletis, right? So a woman, after she gets a certain tuma, which um, she is now, um, after a certain amount of time, right? If it's a boy, it's 40 days. If it's a girl, it's 80 days, right? She could then uh, go to the mikvah and become pure. And then at that point, she, right, she's gone to the mikvah, but she still cannot enter the base of mikdash or eat carbonis until she brings a special carbon, right? So she just is a quick note about that, about that, just that idea of, um, Ayelettis being tummy, you know, like it's important to note that tuma and tara isn't necessarily, um, like, like bad or, you know, like it's not, it's not, it's not um, synonymous with usher and mutter, right? Like there are cases when it's actually a mitzvah to become tummy, right? Um, so tuma obviously means that there's, you're, you're in a state where you can't, you know, go to the base of Mikdash or like do other holy things, but it's not necessarily something that's um, negative in the sense of like sinning. Um, Cause obviously a woman who gives birth is not doing anything wrong, um, which is why she becomes Tameh. But Tama in general on a more spiritual level is associated with anytime there is this very powerful life force or a potential for life. Um, the, the, the absence of that, like once there's, when that leaves or that there's sort of this void that's left after that potential for life is gone, um, that's where Toma comes. Um, and you see this sort of in like different areas of Toma, that concept. So specifically with the Yeladis, right, she, she was pregnant with this life, right, this child. And then once she gives birth and she sort of has that absence of life, um, that's why she becomes Tame. Um, mm. Just you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely important to to bear in mind, right? It's a state yeah, it's to a clarify. State, right. There's always exactly. this ebb and flow, Tuma and Tahara. Naturally, as we go through life, there's so many uh necessary for both men and women are gonna encounter periods of Tuma and period of Tahara and exactly. right. Exactly. Um now what's unique about the lettuce, right? Was kind of there's a little bit of a catch twenty-two here. Because <laughs> on the one on the one hand, she needs to bring her carbon in order to enter the base of Mikdash. On the other hand, we have this halacha that a person who brings the carbon is supposed to be present in the azara, in the base of Mikdash, while the carbon is being brought. Right? So what is this poor Yoletta supposed to do? Right? She needs to bring her carbon in order to enter the base of Mikdash, but in order to bring her carbon, she needs to be in the base of Mikdash. Right? So the Gemara says perhaps this is actually why we have her stand in the gate. Right? So what do we do? Let's read it inside. Elema, perhaps... Mishum right? So, so the Yoletis needs to come and be standing beside their their uh, carbon, the Tanya that says in a Brisa, in carbonai shall adam karab Right. So the Brisa says a woman, a, a person, right, male or female, their carbon is not brought unless uh, they are standing there, right? 
So therefore, in order to solve this issue, the Yoletta stands inside the eastern gate, right inside the doorway. So she's present by her carbon, but not quite inside the Azara, which she's not allowed to do. Now, there are other um, individuals who fit into this category. There's actually a general name for this category of person who is who has gone to the mikvah for their tumah, but is still not able to enter the base of Mikdash until they bring a carbon, right? So a Yoletus is one of them. Uh, Azav or Azava, right? A man or woman who have an unusual uh, bodily flow and a Matsaira, right? These are four people who finish that category. So we have a Yoletus. So in that Mishnah, we mentioned the Yoletus. We mentioned the Matsaira, but we did not mention Azav or Azava. So the Gemara asks, right? If that's really the reason why we have them stand in the Eastern Gate, then why weren't Zavin and Zavos uh, included in that list in the Mishnah? So the Gemara says, in Hachinami, yes, indeed it is so, right? All of those people could have been included on the list. The Tana Chadaminayunakat, right? The Tana of the Mishnah simply chose one of the individuals in that category. Okay, so uh, now we're going to have a new new teaching. So Tana Rabbanan, our sages have taught, Ein Matkin right? We do not have like a site party, right? And just have two women drink at once. We don't want them to kind of egg each other on, right? Them to feel more comfortable with, you know, we're in this together kind of thing. Um, Rabbi Huda says, right? Rabbi Huda says, no, that's not the reason why we don't do two sites at once. Ella, Amarko, we have a Pusik which teaches us this. Uh, what does the Pusik say? Isa, right? Um, right, the Pasuk says, the woman makes this, the Kayan makes this woman swear. It's a singular word. So, Isa right, she alone. Right, so, now, what was the first Tana in our Mishnah thinking? The first Tana in our Mishnah also has the word Isa written in the Pasuk, right? So, what, you know? So, Tanakama Rabbi Shimani. The Tanakama is Rabbi Shimon, right? So there's this really interesting uh, debate, right, which comes up many times uh, in Shas, which is that do we darshan, right? Do we try to explain and attribute a reason to uh, a mitzvah that's given in the Pasuk, right? So a classic example is we know the, the Torah says, Lai sachbol beged almana, right? You should not take... Uh, a, the clothes of a widow as a collateral, right? So if you just take that Pusik literally, it just means anyone who's a widow, whether she's rich or poor, you can't take her clothes, right? Rabbi Shimon is Darshan's, he attributes a reason to the Pusik. And so he says, no, what's the reason for the Pusik? The reason is because she's poor, right? So therefore this halacha is limited. We're going to use a logical uh, reason, right? For this mitzvah to limit the scope of his, this halacha only where it seems to logically apply. Right. Um, yeah. And this is this is not the generally accepted view. The generally accepted view is that we don't darshan the reason for second. Right. Um, so it must be the Tanakama in our Mishnah, since the Tanakama is rejecting. Right. Learning this halacha from the Pasuk and, and instead gave us a logical uh, a way of learning this halacha. It must be that our Tanakama, that first Tana in our Mishnah, was Rabbi Shimon, did Darish Tama Dekra. He expounds, right? He looks for the reasons uh, behind, or the you know presumed reasons behind the uh, rules that are in the Pesukim. Umatam Kamar, right? So what, what reason? Uh, did he give Matam Aisalavada? Kadesha la yehe liba gasvakaberta. Right, so Rishon would say, What's the reason that you need to do Aisalavada? What's the reason the Pusak said you need to have her drink alone? Um, it's so that she shouldn't become more comfortable because she has, you know, someone else with her. So, Maibinayu, what's the actual practical halachic difference, right, between giving this reason to the Psukim or not? Right? Right. In the case of the, the close of the widow, the practical halachic difference was what if the widow is rich? Right. If you attribute a reason to this halacha, then the halacha wouldn't apply because she's rich. Right. She has plenty of clothes to give. But if you don't attribute a reason, right, there would be no difference. So similarly here, what is the practical difference of, you know, attributing a reason to this halacha that we learned from the psyche? So. 
right? So So the, the difference between them would be what if this woman is trembling, right? So therefore, if this woman's trembling and scared, it would not make, right? Then it would, if you attribute a reason, if there's a logical reason for this halacha, if the woman is trembling, right, then another woman drinking with her wouldn't make that woman feel more at ease, right? In fact, it would make her feel more scared, right? So therefore, if the woman is trembling, we should, it should be permitted to have her drink with another woman. Right. Now the is going to ask a question. Right? So he says, hmm, actually, even if she is trembling, we should never uh, allow two scientists to drink at once, regardless of whether or not, you know, you have any reasons from the Pusuk or not from the Pusuk. Why? Because we have this general principle uh, that goes across for many mitzvahs. mitzvahs Right, just a general principle, you don't do mitzvahs in bundles. <laughs> You're not supposed to just say, okay, you know, this is a complicated procedure. Let's do two at once, two for the price of one, right? That makes it seem like the mitzvah is a burden. As Rashi says, a burden to just get off your back. Right, right. So, there's, there's some other explanations of that, of why we don't do mitzvahs, right? Like these common examples, like a bris mila, right? You don't do two bris meals altogether. Um, so, so Rashi, like you said, says that, you know, when you're bundling it all together, it kind of implies that you're like just trying to get, you know, it's like a burden. You're like, okay, let me just get it all done with one shot. You know, you're like, you don't really, it's not like um, valuable to you, you know. Um, and then the Taisway actually in another Masechta um, writes that um, the reason is because when you're doing a mitzvah, you should be totally focused on that one mitzvah, not be like distracted by other things, right? <laughs> Um, and then I saw another interpretation, which was... So um, even that same mitzvah is a distraction if it's not for that person. Like every right, person Right, needs. right, huh. exactly. And then and, and sort of like a more halachic, kind of like strictly halachic way of looking at it, um, is that when you're, it says that when you're involved in a mitzvah, you're putter from other mitzvahs, right? Like you're, right, someone who's Isaac in a mitzvah is, is putter from other mitzvahs. So if you're doing one mitzvah, um, at that moment, you're putter from anything else. So if you try to do another mitzvah at the same time, then you're doing a mitzvah which you're essentially putter from, right? So you're not really fulfilling that mitzvah either, which is why you need to do them one at a time. Right? <laughs> it's so interesting. I know. Isn't that interesting? Wow. A little bit of a, you're kind of stuck there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, anyway. <laughs> yeah, at any rate, right? So whatever the reason is, right? All those are all those things together. They're not mutually exclusive reasons. We, we generally don't like doing this, right? We don't do mitzvahs at one shot. So there, regardless of whether you hold like Garbi Shimon and you give a reason for the Pusik or not, you should never have two sides drink at once because that would be doing mitzvahs in bundles. Right. Right. It's not as it says, Ain Mashkin Shtame Saitis Kahas, where you don't give two saitas to drink at once. The Ain Matarin Shtamitsaran Kahas, right? Similarly, you can't be purified, right? Do the purification process for two Mitsarayan at once. The Ain writes in Shnei Avadim Kahas. You don't bore the the hole in the ear of two um Jewish slaves at once. The Ain Arfin Shtay Eglis Kahas, right? You don't um chop the head off of a egla rufa, right? If there's an unsolved murder, right? There's special rituals done. You don't do two of the egla rufa processes at once. Why? Well, it's an interesting list, right? <laughs> it's yeah, it's interesting. Why well, specifically? Because this, this applies to other mitzvahs, as I said, a bris. It's not exclusively these mitzvahs, but for whatever reason, the Mishnah here is using this kind of eclectic <laughs> list here. Um, but right, why all these things you can't do two at once? Lafisha ain't ice and mitzvahs chavilas chavilas, right? You don't do mitzvahs in bundles. So Amar Abaye, Abaye says, V'izi to Rav Kahana, some actually say that, you know, attribute this statement to Rav Kahana. Lai Kashia. No, no, no issue, no question. Here, when we're saying you shouldn't give two women to drink at once, there we're talking about when there's just one Kayan, right? One Kayan cannot do two at once. Kan v'shtei Kayan. Right. But over there, we're talking about two kahanim. So if there are two kahanim, in principle, you would be allowed to give two women to drink at once. And therefore, if the woman is trembling, right, um, if you then whether or not you're allowed to have two at once would depend on whether you think like Rabbi Shimon or not. If you think like Rabbi Shimon, if the woman is trembling and there are two kahanim, you can have another woman drink. Why not? Right. She's not going to it's not going to encourage her in any way. However, if you think like, you know, the. Not like Rabbi Shimon, right? That we don't uh, limit the scope of the halacha based on a logical reason, then you would never have to side dose drink regardless. Okay. 
right? So it makes sense that this distinction between one kind and two kind um, based on the reasons that we gave for why you don't do mitzvahs, chavilas, chavilas, makes sense, right? Because it's about the person not the person who's doing the mitzvah, like the client himself, not being distracted or not feeling like he's just throwing off a burden, you know? It's, ah, it's interesting. I was kind of thinking about that as I was reading it. Like, I wonder if, based on different reasons, it makes might not make as much sense. Like, I feel like according to Tetsuis's reason, right, that it's uh, based on concentration, then two kahanam seem to solve the problem entirely. But if it's according to Rashi, that it's just like you don't want to make it seem like a burden, perhaps even if you have two different kahanam, the fact that you're trying to like maximize, you know, the, the amount of time. But but I was thinking it's more an individual thing. I mean, you, the person doing this themselves is looks like they're throwing off a burden. But if it's like each person is totally dedicated to their mitzvah, then each kahanam right. individually, then it, I, know, I was thinking according to Rashi also could make sense, but... Yeah, clearly Rashi read our Yamara, so it makes sense, but maybe slightly less light compelling, right? Right. Anyways, it's interesting. Um, okay, so actually, yeah, I feel like at the end of this, <laughs> just a preview at the very end of our Vasakta, like the last paragraph, we'll get back to the Mitzvah Kabilas Kabilas thing, so stay tuned. Um, okay, so. Moving on in our Mishnah, we said, what's the next thing the Kayan does? Vahagayan Aiches Gadeha, right? Um, it says the, the Kayan, right, like, takes hold of her clothes, and the Mishnah describes how her clothes would tear, and it would tear until it revealed her chest, and then they would tie a string around it to hold her clothes up, um, and the Kayan would also uncover her head and unbraid her hair. Um, okay, so Tanarabanan, the Chayan say, Upara Esraisa right? The Pasuk says that the, the Kayan, um, so we'll translate the word opar here reveals the head of the woman. Um, so that means based on just the, by saying opar as reish, we would say, okay, he reveals her head, but how do we know she reveals her body, right? By tearing her clothes. Talmud Leimar, ha'isha, right? It adds the word ha'isha, right? Meaning he reveals the entire woman. Okay, so then we're going to go back. So if so, what if it had just said Upara es Haisha? Then we would have gone that he uncovers her head and her whole body. Right, so why does it say also Upara es Raisha? Reels her head. That teaches us that the Kayan needs to unbraid her hair. All right, Para can also have the in addition to meaning reveal, it also have the meaning of being like wild, right? Un- unraveled, yeah. Right, unraveled. So um, this teaching us that the kind unbraids, or I guess the woman then would always have their hair braided, right? So the kind would un- undo her braids. Interestingly, this this possible part of Reishi Isha, this is the source for the mitzvah of Kisei Reish, right? In, in Ksubais, when it talks about... Um, Das Maisha and Das Yehudis, like what would, what quali- what, under what circumstances would a woman forfeit her ksuba? Um, it actually you know, uses this pasuk, right, to, as, a, as a proof that Kisa um, Reish, like the, the obligation to, for a woman to cover her hair after she's married, is, is menhatira, actually. Um, and Taisbis there gives two explanations for, for how we learn it from this pasuk, right? Um, one of them is, you know, from the fact that, um, from the fact that he, the fact that he uncovers her hair, right, as part of the process, shows that her hair must have been covered before that, right? Like we, it's implied that it was normal for a woman to be covering their hair because that was that was the accepted practice. Um, and then alternatively, another another explanation we're going to see later on, in the, in, I think on this doc, um, that um, you know each part of the process of what, of what the client did to the woman was actually mida connected mida, right? It was like kind of. Um, uh, a punishment for something she did with her adulterer, and one of the things that they say is that the kite uncovering her hair as sort of an as sort of like a shameful thing was mita kinegamita that she uncovered her hair with her adulterer. So from the fact that that's mita kinegamita, we see that it must have been a forbidden thing for her to do. Meaning, just the act of uncovering her hair with her adulterer was itself an iser. Um, so that's sort of another way we might learn out um, from this pasuk that 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 women are obligated to cover their hair. Anyway. Mm. Just a little halachic <laughs> insight. Right. And that's something that's so practical that we do every day. And I feel like a lot of this masakta might seem kind of far off. And <laughs> yeah, right and that, that is the source. It's from the saita. Like, that's how we know. Like, all the halachas connected to Hisei Reish is, is we initially learn it from, from the saita. Just <laughs> this one pasak. Yeah, these few, yeah. these few words. Very important. Exactly. Um, yeah. Okay. So we're going to move on uh, in the Mishnah. So the next line in the Mishnah, Rihuda. Right. So Rihuda Amar Imhaya Liba. Not right. So Rehuda says, right, the kind would un 
uh, tear her clothes. And Rahuda said that if her chest area was, you know, uh, beautiful or attractive, then he would not tear her clothes. And similarly with her hair, right, if it was attractive, he would not unbraid it. Um, <clears throat> right, so the Gemara is going to analyze this idea. So Lememra, so this implies, right, Rehuda is concerned that the spectators will have improper thoughts. Uh, but the other rabbis in our Mishnah were not concerned, right? Because the first opinion in our Mishnah was that uh, he, the Kayan tears everyone's clothes, every woman, regardless, right? So that's what's implied from our Mishnah. And so actually, from another Bryce, in another context, uh, it implies that Rehuda actually does not think that. The Tanya, as it says, Ha'ish mechasen shnei prakim. Right, so this is talking about um, when a man or a woman is being stoned, right? They're chayav skila for some reason. So it says that a man, uh, the so the presumption here is that we're the uh, man or woman is clo- is stoned while they're unclothed because wearing clothing prolongs death, right? Um, and even when the death penalty is given in halacha, we try to do it in the most painless way possible. And so since wearing clothing prolongs death, uh, they're stoned undressed. Um, but the man, the, we hold up a cloth in front of them to sort of cover them for reasons of modesty, right? So a man, we cover him with a, a, a stretch of cloth, just one stretch of cloth in front of him. And a woman is stoned, we, we hold up two stretches of cloth, one before her, one after her, because, you know, a woman requires a greater uh, level of modesty. Because um, <clears throat> for the woman, both the, her, the front half of her body and the back half of her body can be, you know, is improper, is era, right? Uh, that's Rabbi Huda's opinion, right? So we see here Rabbi Huda uh, is, con- you know, concerned about Right, but the Chavim say they're more strict. They say the man is clothed uh, undressed, but a woman is actually is stoned with her clothes on. Right, so we say here that uh, Rabbi Huda is less strict about um, you know for, about modesty, right, uh, during this process. So. Amar Rabba, so Rabba says, okay, there's a simple, right, there's a simple explanation. So Rabba says, yeah, there's a reason. Why was Rabbi Huda so concerned with the Saita, right, to the effect that we shouldn't right, reveal our chats? Because we are, like, it's a very possible that she will leave, right, um, innocent, right? She'll be proven innocent, and so she'll actually leave the Basin. Right, and the you know, young Kohanim, which are around, will be um, attracted to her. Awesome, Hamastalka, right? So there, she's being executed, right? So she's, you know, no longer going to be around. Um, so perhaps you could say that just by seeing the sight of a woman, that, that will cause them to be attracted, you know, just in general with another woman. So Rabbi says, we're not worried about this. We don't think the Yitzhahara is going to have a, a power or dominion over something that um, is not in front of your eyes. Right? We're only going to worry about what they can actually see, what the spectators can see with their eyes. There's a nice um, note about that that idea um, of Ain Yitzhahara Shailat El Abamashi in So the Mikhda Melio by Rabbi Yodesler, he writes that, um, I mean, this is a famous idea in Chazal, right? Ayn Raya believe Chaymed, right? The, what your eyes see, your heart desires. Like our, the power of, of, of like visuals is so powerful to like kind of, uh, you know, entice somebody. Um, so he says that this is true both for the good and for the bad, right? We see that both for the negative, right? It can draw you to negative things when your eyes see something. And also for the positive, um, this is why Chachamim gave so many Mishalim, right? Like it's so prevalent amongst like, Chazal, that they're always giving these like visual examples um, for any idea that they're trying to say, because that imagery that we have um, is pulls at the heart, right? It like kind of gets your heart to be drawn to it as well. Mm. Yeah. Right. So that's like the, right, I guess that's the flip explain side. why he's using the word Aina, right? So he could have just said what's in front of him, Mashal Fanav, right? Right. So specifically, right, Masha Aina, right? So to her has power, right? Before you see your eyes see. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, okay. Right. So, based on this, this is how we're trying to uh, understand Rabbi Yehuda. Right. So, in general, uh, Rabbi Yehuda is concerned, right, about about uh, the spectators, right, having improper thoughts. But um, 
with regard to, you know, if there, if a woman's being executed, right, we're not concerned about it anymore because she will know, you know, she's not, she's going to be uh, no longer alive. Now, I'm a Rebbe. Derby Huda, Rebbe Huda Kasha. So, Rebbe says, you know, Rebbe Huda, this contradiction between conflict and Rebbe Huda is a question. Right, so we asked this question about Rehuda, but what about the Rabbanan? The Rabbanan also seem inconsistent. In our Mishnah, the Chachamim seem to be, you know, very unconcerned about the Saita being exposed. But in our, in this Mishnah about a woman being executed, the Chachamim seem to be, um, to be very concerned, right? So, you know, what about that? So, Amar Rabbi said, Rehuda, Rehuda, Lokasha condition, right? We already explained the contradiction between the seeming contradiction, parent contradiction, Sherehuda or Yuda. But what about the Derabana Derabana and the opinion of the Chachamim? So Derabana Derabana Nami Lokasha, right? So Derabana Derabana, the differing views of the Chachamim are also not a contradiction. Hapa time am I? So here in our <clears throat> Uh, case with a saita. What's the reason? Right. Uh, the classic says that all the women, well, it's actually not from saita, but it's from Yechazkel, that all the women should be uh, chastised, right? All women should see and take a lesson from the sight of the saita. Right. Um, but over there, if this woman's being executed, right, she's already being given her due punishment, right? You don't need to add to it um, and also make her uh, be unclothed. And if you say, okay, no, why don't we just give her both? Let's give her both punishments. The Pusik says, Right? You should love your fellow as yourself. And where do we apply this? Misayafa. Choose for him, choose for the, the prisoner right on death row. You have to choose the most pleasant, painless uh, death possible. Right? It's interesting. We apply the Yahavdalarecha to even that, even that Jew. Right. So, right. So, therefore, right, since this woman is already being given her punishment, we don't want to add even the slightest discomfort of uh, feeling embarrassed because of, of being um, exposed. Lema de Rav Nachman Tanayi. So maybe you could say that Rav Nachman is this statement of Rav Nachman is a subject of debate amongst the Tanaim. The Lokula Alma is the Rav Nachman. Um, sorry. So you say, well, it's not true. The Kula Alma is the Rav Nachman. Everyone agrees with this statement of Rav Nachman. Everyone agrees that you want to choose the best, uh, the most easiest death possible. Right. So why then did the Chachamim, right, require or only the Chachamim require, uh, worried about this woman's uh, discomfort from being exposed? So we said it's the Hacha Bahalkam of Levi. This is what they're arguing about. Mar Savar Bizyayne Adifle Tfe Mitzar. Right. So what did Rabbi Huda think? Rabbi Huda said that we um, have a woman right stoned unclothed so he believes that being embarrassed the woman would prefer to be embarrassed and being clothed rather than have that extra pain of the prolonged death due to wearing clothes but the chachamim who said that the woman should be stoned while clothed they believe that the woman would prefer to have that you know slightly extra pain um more than being uh, embarrassed. I just feel like it's so fascinating how, like, the lengths to which we're analyzing, right, the psychology, these kind of like minute differences in even the physical and even psychological state of the prisoner, right, in order to um, not even give the slightest amount more psych physical or psychological pain than necessary. Right. Mm. Um, okay, so moving on, right, the next. Part, next part of the Mishnah says that if she was um, dressed in white clothes, they would give her black clothes, right? So, she was dressed in white clothes. So, Tana, we learn, if she, if black clothes looked good on her, right? If black was like her color, 
right? We would just give her ugly clothes, right? How you let Clay Zahav, right? It says if she had gold jewelry on her, right, they would um they would take them off. So the Gemara says, Pshita. <laughs> right, so that's obvious. Asha Navalim Navala. Like we we get the point. <laughs> like the Mishnah goes into all these details. Like we get it. She's we're trying to disgrace her. How do you advise? So no, we do need so how do you advise? Do we need this do we need this statement also? So Ma'agatema, no, we're afraid you might say, Bahani Isla Bizayanche. That it would be more embarrassing for her to wear the gold jewelry. Why? Because Emery and see, there was the popular saying at the time. Shliach, Artil Vasaya Misani, right? There's this person who's unclothed and naked and wearing shoes, right? So if the person's wearing shoes, that draws greater attention to the fact that they're not wearing clothes, right? So similar, we might say that if this woman is wearing gold jewelry, that draws greater attention to the fact that her clothes are ripped and she's wearing these black, ugly clothes and her hair is untied, right? Um, so that's why the Mishnah has to specifically say, no, <laughs> like we're going to, they should take the gold off of her. Right, the next thing, the Mishnah, right, they would then bring a, so it's interesting what the meaning of a Chavel Mistress is. Um, Rashi actually says it means it's a, a kind of string that was made from the leaves of like a a, um, a palm tree, the fibers around the trunk of a palm tree. Um, <laughs> I kind of got sidetracked when I was researching this stuff and I watched this whole video of this old guy making a rope from the fibers of the palm tree. It's very interesting <laughs> if you want to look it up. But um yeah, that's right. There are also those who say that it was really a uh, mitzvah, like from an Egyptian thread, but it was this very thick, strong rope, right? So they take this rope uh, and they would tie it around her clothing, right? Now that the clothing's ripped, you need this rope to tie around her to make sure that, you know, the clothes don't fall down. Now, um, so, by meaning Rabbi Abba Rabbi Huna. So, Rabbi Abba asked a question of Rahuna. This Kabul Hamitri. Mahu Right. Do is the fact that it's a mitzri, right? So it's either this rope from fibers or from Egypt. Does it need to be this specific type of rope? Right. And if not, it's like it's ma'ake, right? It, it's the now the process isn't kosher, right? It's disqualified it's the process. Um so mishum chala yishbitu bagadama Right, so is the reason for um, tying this rope around her simply just like practical that her clothes shouldn't fall down? If so, then even a small ribbon would be enough. Idilma, or perhaps Mishim de Amar Mar, because of the we have this teaching, um, right, she girded herself with this like thick belt, and therefore the Kayan brings her this um, thick, impressive uh, rope to tie her clothes with. Um, so if that's the case, right, if there's a specific symbol, uh, symbolism to this type of rope, um, then it should indeed be a necessary requirement that it should be this specific type of rope. Um, Amar Lehi, so he said to him, Tenitua, right, you could find the answer specifically in our Mishnah. Right, it says afterwards the kind would bring this Egyptian or uh, palm tree fiber rope um, and tie it above her breast. So since the Mishnah specifically uses the wording of Chavalimitri, right? Um, sorry, <laughs> I didn't keep reading. So tie it above her breast. And the Mishnah specifically says, why is that so? Why did they bring this rope? In order so that her clothes should not fall down, right? So the, the Mishnah clearly tells us this is a functional Thing, right, it's it's a functional uh, reason that her clothes shouldn't fall down. So ideally, you should have a chevel mitzri, but if not, if you just have an ordinary rope, that would also be fine. Okay, the end of the mission says v'chalha writes a liris ba yira. Right, so it says anyone who wants to see could see. Right, so how guvakash? This is seems like um, hard to understand. Amar's color rights are Lyris Baraya. First, the Mishnah says anyone who wants to see could come see and watch the sights. 
Alma, that implies Lashna Gavri, but Lashna Nashe, right? It doesn't matter if it's men or women. Everyone can come see. Mahadratani, Kohanashim Mutaris Lirisa. At the end of the Mishnah, it says all women are permitted to see her. Nashim in Anashim La. So that implies that women are permitted to see, but men are actually not permitted to see. Amarabai says, Targama Anashim. You should interpret the words everyone is permitted to see with regard to only women. All women are able to see. Amarli Rabba, Bakal Kolarita Liris Ba. Right, but it. That's not really the, what the Mishnah sounds like. It says anyone who wants to come see can see. But Rabbi said, anyone who wants to see can come see. Right? Um, both men and women. But women are obligated to see her. As it says, right, we have this post like we quoted before. All the women are supposed to come and see and be chastened and rebuked uh, and, you know, can see an example of what not to do. All right. The next Mishnah is very fascinating. A lot of uh, very uh, deep and and prudent concepts to think about. Mishnah says, uh, right? With the same measure that a person measures with, um, it is measured back to him, <laughs> right? This idea of mida keneged mida, measure for measure. And we see this um, exemplified with a saita. He kashas asma lavera, hamakaim navla. She adorned herself, right? Made herself beautiful for sin. And therefore, Hashem, right, says that she should be demeaned. He gulfs at Asma Lavera. She revealed or exposed herself for sin. Hamakin gilala, gilala, right? Hashem says that she should be exposed. Um, the sin began with the thigh. And later, the stomach. Therefore, similarly, the, the thigh should be struck first and afterwards the stomach. Right? And the rest of the body was also not uh, saved. <laughs> it was also struck uh, with sickness. So be- before we get into the Gemara here, I mean, we're going to go on about this for a while, about this idea of Mida Negan Mida, but just some, like, just some explanation of what this means, you know, because at face value, the idea of Mida Negan Mida almost sounds petty, you know, it sounds very, like, on a human level, it sounds like, you know, you're you're trying to get back at someone, right, it's like, you did this to me, I'm going to take revenge and do the same thing to you, um, which obviously is not um, what's, what, what we mean here by Mida Negan Mida, Hashem obviously isn't just trying to take revenge, um, so what does this mean? So, so there's a few different explanations given, many explanations given, but just a few of them. So like the Chinuch writes that, um, obviously Hashem's not trying to take revenge like a human being. Hashem is all chesed and only wants to do kindness and good to the person. But the actions that we do, um, sort of, sort of either allow us or disallow us, um, um, to receive the blessing that Hashem wants to give us. So Hashem is trying to give us chesed, but certain act- if we do certain actions, we kind of open ourselves up to receive that blessing. And if we do other things, we're sort of closing ourselves off from receiving that, um, which is why we end up sort of what happens as a result is that we're not able to receive that blessing that's associated with what with what we did. Um, and actually the Kedushas Levi says something similar. You know, we know that Kedushas Levi, written by Rebbe Levi Yitzchak he was all about, you know, finding finding the good in every single Jew, right? Like, that's, like, what he's famous for. Um, so he actually writes that, he kind of says a similar idea, that when you judge another person with, with chesed, right, with, like, you have a kind eye at another person, you're, again, it's not that, like, Hashem is trying to, like, reward you, but it's, like, it's sort of like you're opening up this channel for for chesed to be come towards you as well. Um, so that's one idea. Um, another idea, the Maharsha writes, he says that the reason why Hashem will will respond in a similar way, meaning like the sin that you do, the punishment you're going to get is going to be of the same nature is because otherwise, how would you know why this punishment is happening to you? 
right? Like if, if something just randomly happens to you and you have no way of knowing that this is a consequence of something you've done, then you're not going to, it's not going to inspire you to do shuba in any way, right? Because it's like, it just seems random. But if it's like of the same exact nature as like the thing that you did, it's almost like a very obvious signal, like, you know, that Hashem's trying to send a message um, that you should do shuba for that specific act. Um, so that's, that's another idea. And then finally, just a, a, a last thought um, from the Hassam Seifer and a few others sort of, sort of say similar things that, that you know, the, 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 uh, instead of thinking of, you know, negative things that happen as a consequence of our actions as a punishment, like Hashem sort of getting back at us, but it's more of a, a natural consequence, right? Like nothing evil or bad comes from Hashem. It's more that we do something and then we end up suffering the consequences of our own actions. So the sort of the result of our own actions is what we refer to as this this punishment, right? This midah negamida. But it's not that it's Hashem's responding to us. It's that we're sort of having to deal with the automatic natural consequence of our own actions. And, and I saw someone giving like a, a metaphor for this. It's like when somebody digs a pit and then you later, you know, you dig a pit and then, you, you know, later that night you're walking and you accidentally fall into that pit that you dug, right? So it's not like someone's getting back at you. It's just that when you dig and dug a pit, you're making yourself <laughs> vulnerable to falling into it yourself. Um, right. You measured your own, your own punishment, right? Exactly. Exactly. Your own, con- yeah, own consequence. Um, anyway, so that's just like a little bit of, shed a little bit of light on this idea of meeting that can meet. It's not just some like childish, you know, <laughs> game, um, but there's actually sort of more, uh, richer meaning behind it there's real also our actions have real power you know that's how i i look at it right you're you're right. You, you have that yeah the power to create your reality exactly. beyond the immediate uh, action that you're doing right right um so so let's go into the gemara so i'm a review so review says off al gav demida the tela just just because the the measure right so here referring to the four um misos of basin right a capital punishment is um annulled right we don't have a 700 so we, we no longer do capital punishment but middle it still hasn't really been uh nullified right meaning if someone does a sin that's worthy of a capital punishment um he is hashem finds a way to punish them Right, so it means Amar Rabbi Yosef. says, "V'chein tani Rabbiya." And similarly, Rabbiya said, "Miyom shechar beis From the day the beis hamikdash was destroyed, af al pi shebatla sanhedrin arba misas. Even though the sanhedrin, which meets out four capital punishments, um, laybatlu. Right, the four punishments have not. Um, sorry, as just just even though the sanhedrin. Right, has been nullified. The four punishments have not been. The Gemara asks, well, that's just not true. <laughs> we don't do capital punishment today. Right, so what does it mean? Aladin right, The judgment, right, of these four Mises have not um, have not been stopped. Mishan is high of skila. Right, someone who does um, an avera that's worthy of being stoned, either he falls from a roof or a wild animal tramples him. Mishin is high of Srifa, if there's someone who is does a sin that's worthy of being burnt, either he falls into a fire, or a snake bites him. Right, so we see that a similar a an act of God, if you will, right? Um, there's a fatal accident and something that's similar to the the punishment he deserved. Mishin is high of hariga. I nem serlamachlitz. I listen vinylim. Right? If someone's high of to be um, to be executed by the sword, either he's given over to the authorities, right? The authorities at that time were not too kind, um, or he falls into the hand of bandits. Mishnah is high of skila, raves Hanika. If someone um, does a sin which is worthy of strangulation, either he, either he drowns in a river, right, or he dies from this illness called srinchi, which is this illness of the throat. Steinsalz translates it as diphtheria, right? So the symptoms of diphtheria are typically um, this stream like throat congestion, uh, congestion um, and it's um, basically the person dies because there's just a lack of, of air. Tani Haya Rebbe Aimer. So 
there's a bright side where Ruby said, me nine should be midash as a my did ba, my did lie. How do we know, right? What's what's the where's our pasik? Some proof from the Tarsha Mustab of this idea of a woman, a man being paid back uh, measure for measure. Shinamar, as it says, Bisa asa'a vishalcha tirivana, right? Um, so with the same, so basasa, we're translating the word sasa uh, from the word sa'a, which is a measure, right? So with that same measure that was sent out, he'll be paid back, right? Okay, Ailey Elisa. So this pasuk only tells me that saw a full measure is paid back. So how do I know that a smaller measure, right, is included? So um, Rashi says, right, uh, it's a half a, a tirkav is a half a sa. So how do we know that a half a sa is included? A tirkav, a fourth of a sa, kav a chetzi, a kav and a half, kav rebbe a kav a quarter and a um and a half rova toman ukla the ukla how do we know that uh half and a quarter right three eighths or an eighth or a 32nd third these are all like varying measures of a sub but the idea is right it's kind of an analogy to say right so we know for the big things right for the things that are a full measure right you get paid back but how do we know that even the tiniest measurement even the tiniest action is paid back um, mean ayin, how do we know that? Talmud Lamer, the Pesach says, ki kol sa'in 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 barash. Every single tiny measurement is um, with with commotion, right, is is remembered, right? It's a continuation of that same Pesach um, from Yishayu. Uminayin, how do we know? Shekol pruta o pruta mitzter efes. How do we know the Cheshman Gadol? How do we know that every single coin is joined together to a large accounting, right? So Rashi says this means that even if a person doesn't get punished, right, right away, every single little action he does adds up until eventually he's deserving of a much larger punishment. So how do you know that that, uh, that happens? So Talmud Lamar, the Pesach says, achaz achaz cheshman, right? Uh, it's a Pesach from Kahalas, right? So uh, every single one, right, is can be found and can be included in the uh, accounting. So similarly, we find with a saita. Right, in the same mida, um, right, that she was de- she dealt out, right, and her sin um, is dealt back to her. Right, so I think we'll pause here. The rest of the Gemara, now the Gemara is going to go into a long list of all the, a much longer list than we saw before of the different ways the Saita is paid back. Um, so we'll, that's what we'll start off with tomorrow. All right. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you tomorrow.